StatsNet Original Podcast. Welcome to Season 2 of the Diffability Podcast, brought to you by the DadsNet and Get Cycling. All kinds of cycles for all kinds of people. Head over to getcycling.org.uk forward slash diffability to find out more and to book your own demo. I'm Paul and this is Michael. Hello. And we are parents to four children, our younger twins, Loton and Lance, and our 16-year-old boys who are soon going to be 17, Levi and Lucas who have autism, epilepsy, along other complex disabilities. And together, we are the Atwell Bryce family. In this podcast, we'll be taking a look at a range of different conditions that can affect your children and speaking to experts from various organisations to get you the best advice out there. From early detection to helpful resources and even some tips and tricks to make everyday life that little bit easier. In this episode we are taking a look at Down Syndrome with not one but two fantastic interviews with two different charities, Down Syndrome UK and 21 Together. Down syndrome is a condition in which a person has an extra copy of a chromosome, specifically chromosome 21. This extra copy changes how a baby's body forms and functions as it grows during pregnancy and after birth. Our first guest is Nicola Enoch, Chief Executive and Founder of Down Syndrome UK and Positive About Down Syndrome. Nicola is also a mum to Tom who has Down Syndrome and talks very openly and honestly about their journey through diagnosis, pre-birth and the challenges facing parents in the early years. Nicola, hi! Hi there! Really nice to see you. Now also, I know you are very grounded and very down to earth but as a CEO of a big organisation, it sounds very formal. It does sound formal. <laughs> I mean, it is formality, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, I'm a mum. Um, and I'm a mum who's just sort of set up a charity. Um, so really, I'm often known as the founder of the charity yeah. as well. Yes. So CEO is just a title. When did you found this charity? How long has it been going? Well... Basically, so briefly, I'm mum to Tom, who's 18, uh, and he has Down syndrome. And I actually set up one charity up in Warwickshire, where I live, in 2006. So that's been going 16 years, if my math serves me correctly. Um, But then the national charity I set up five years ago. We've just had our fifth birthday. Uh, So that's more recent. But I've been involved in sort of running uh, charities in the Down syndrome community for 16 years. God, that's a long time. So you have so much knowledge and real life experience on the whole Down syndrome community, etc. Um, we're going to ask you, uh, firstly, so what does your charity offer to families if they've got a Down syndrome child? Yeah, so families who've got a child with Down syndrome. Um, well, we start off uh, with expectant parents. Uh, so we have fantastic online support groups. So we work through Facebook primarily, um, and we have uh, uh, expectant parents. Then as the baby arrives, uh, if they do arrive with a little extra chromosome, because obviously there's a lot of parents who might just have um, some screening, some tests that might give a high chance. They may not have a confirmed diagnosis, but baby arrives with uh, Down syndrome. And those who discover after birth, we have a new parents group. 
And we've got about 900 parents in there at the minute of a a little one, all UK based, uh, up to the age of 18 months. And thereafter, we then continue the support. We have a preschool group and we've just um, got primary and secondary and and, um, 16 plus. So there's a lot of online support. uh, So there's a lot of peer support, which I think is so important to, uh, you know, know that you're not alone, to be able to. Uh, connect with other people who perhaps have perhaps had the same worries or concerns you may be having um, and really importantly to see how other people's lives are progressing um, and that actually perhaps some of the worries you had yeah. you don't need to worry about you know that life goes on and people are enjoying their lives um, so we do tons and tons online we do um, information sharing sessions on a whole host of subjects uh, we've got one this week on nystagmus we do others about uh, all different sort of perhaps health conditions or yeah. about preparing to go to school. Uh, we do a lot around. Oh, tell me when to stop talking because I'll go no, on forever. No. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> Loads around toilet training. Um, it's really about educating, empowering um, our parents um, in turn to then help their children to really flourish and develop. So we also do um, online physiotherapy sessions, um, early development groups. All sorts, absolutely tons. Um, and then there's also a network um, of regional support groups so people can access us nationally um, and dip into what we have. Uh, but then separate to us, there's also regional groups who families can um, uh, attend and get involved with. And, you know, the um, the social media side of it, uh, Nicola, is that all under positive about Down syndrome? Yeah, mostly. Yeah. Most of what the general public yeah the sort of main stuff we do is that's right it's pads positive about down syndrome i mean i should say an awful lot that we do we also do a lot of work with maternity units but that's yeah. obviously not so much um parent facing um so yeah nicola i've got a question i want to ask you because obviously <laughs> we're very real parents you know our situation with our boys with their health needs and complex disabilities and all those kind of things um what i want to know is if you have a new mother approach you who's just been told that she's very likely her child is going to have Down syndrome. And that new mother is really struggling to understand that and accept it. Because in the real world, Nicola, you know, people choose to have children and some people think everything's going to be like a fairy tale and sadly in the real world it doesn't it's not always like that definitely it's not always like that what do you do and what advice would you give because i'm quite sure there might be somebody who would listen to this and may possibly be in that situation Yes, I'm sure. Well, I think it's really important. I mean, it's never one size fits all to start yeah. off, as we all can imagine. Yeah. Um, I think all we can do is share our experiences. So we have a lot of resources. We have a website full of stories, um, and we have a fantastic publication, a book called Nobody Told Me the Truth About Down Syndrome. Um, and that's because I, I know from my experience that when I was a new parent and discovered Tom had Down Syndrome, I struggled enormously. You know, I thought it was the end of my world. Um, I was oh, devastated. Yeah. Um, and that basically was uh, a lot of ignorance and fear of what I perceived as the unknown. And what I needed to know was actually Tom's life wasn't going to be that different. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, I've got a daughter as well. She was three and a half when Tom was born. And um, and what I needed to know is what might our lives look like? I can't imagine, you know, I know what Emily's will look like. It, it's going to be like mine. Well, I kind of hoped it wouldn't be quite like mine in the teenage years. But apart from that, you know, I could envisage hers. But it felt like having a, someone with Down syndrome, what on earth was their life going to look like? Yeah. So what we've produced and what parents can access is, is our, are our resources, as well as the online support where they can ask absolutely any question. Uh, but those resources are just stories and photos of showing people living their pretty much everyday lives. Yeah. Um, you know, no one can predict the future for any child. Yeah. Uh, we all know uh, whether they have an identified condition or not. Um, parenting's hard work and uh, undoubtedly brings challenges as well as the rewards. Um, but I think the biggest lesson probably I've learned from having Tom is that, my goodness, the uh, the positives so, so outweigh any challenges that we face. Um, and that really the challenges we face are not actually Tom, nothing to do with him. Yeah. He's fine. It's the systems we work yeah. within. They're the, they're the biggest you know, things that take up time and energy and stress uh, generally. Uh, it's the sort of, yeah, the bureaucracy, the sort of systems we have to access. So, um, you know, I can't, basically I say to parents, any, you know, your expectant parent, congratulations is generally the first word I'll say. Um, you know, whether you've just discovered you're pregnant or you've just had the baby, the most, you know, congratulations. Um, and then I just sort of listen to them and answer what their concerns and worries about are maybe about um, as best I can. You know, I, I can't predict their child's yeah. future any more than anybody else can. But what we can do is is give them a sort of window into, you know, hundreds of parents' um, experiences, um, which are all different, but, you know. But I think what oozes from you is that with expectant mothers and new parents, is that they are not alone. And I think it's that thing also, even even now with social media, um, we get parents, you know, who join us and they're remote and online and yeah. I can't really see them or anything. But, oh, my goodness, after a few hours, I can almost feel and yeah. sense the sigh of relief as they sort of join us and they go, do you know, I'm not the first person to have that worry. I'm not, you know, there can be quite a lot of guilt, I think, also because... Yeah. One of the things with having a baby with Down syndrome, of course, is that it's identified, the baby's um, condition is identified, you know, potentially in the womb, um, yeah. um, not certainly um, when baby arrives. So at a time when generally, you know, if you've just had a newborn baby um, and then you're told that baby isn't quite as you expected, um, that can be a difficult time and parents can go through a lot of emotions, you know, and for, uh, you know, the woman's hormones are all over the place anyway, throw into the mix perhaps, you know, being told the baby, you know, has um, Down yeah. syndrome, they may know nothing about and be really scared about. Um, and often the news isn't given in a particularly no. sensitive way. We've done a, a lot of research. That is something we've done research yeah. around, um, you know, and there's a lot of outdated um attitudes and sort of discriminatory language and so on um and i think you know i, I struggled enormously yeah. you know, in my ted talk i say how you know the first night um i actually wondered if it'd be best for us all if tom didn't survive which is horrendous you know as a newborn mum who'd been desperate to have you know yeah second baby you know i'd had four miscarriages before emily um you know to actually even that thought to cross my mind yeah. you know 
I felt terrible, you know, and, and, and we didn't bring him home initially because we just didn't know what to do. Um, so you can, you know, having gone from the euphoria of becoming a, a new parent again and, and mm. you know, safe delivery of baby and all those things to then the depths, depths of despair, um, you know, as you say, it's a very, very lonely place and it's a very scary place. And I think coming into a community like Pat's, um, where, you know, we're completely non-judgmental, um, we know how important it is for those parents to open up. I mean, we, we fund... Um, in, an independent counsellor to offer sessions as well, because obviously, you know, there's so much we can do, only so much we can do as peer supporters. But, um, yeah, becoming part of a community like ours is, you know, gives me goosebumps now, makes me very proud um, of what we're able to um, offer families. Um, I think the way, the way you talk and how open and honest you are, with the attitude that we have as well, it really helps you to be able to understand and help so many others. So just by hearing you talk, I do know that other people will listen to this and will think, wow, I actually needed to hear somebody just talk yeah. like that. Because I think in today's society, there's a lot of pressure on ourselves to kind of, yes, everything's fine, we're coping fine. Yes, we love the child no matter what, but actually, deep down, you're actually really struggling to understand it all. And and it's all just gone so different to what you yeah. thought it would be. I think it's that, isn't it? We all have expectations in life. Yeah. Um, you know, and we all, you know, expect that you'll be able to conceive easily. The pregnancy will go well. The birth will be wonderful. Yeah. The baby arrives, you know, and the, you know, I don't know. It's all fabulous. Yeah. Go home and life's glorious thereafter. And the reality, you know, that doesn't exist for anybody, I don't suppose. Um, but yes, it's really important to acknowledge um, when you are struggling. So it's been great to have you here on our Differability podcast. But before we go, where can everybody find you? Thank you. Um, well, our website is positiveaboutdownsyndrome.co.uk and our social media is the same, really, Positive About Down Syndrome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'd love, you know, for your uh, listeners to tag along and um, see the reality of our everyday lives, which sometimes are pretty dull. Um, but, you know, we're all about celebrating people with Down Syndrome, um, you know, and showing the world the reality um, of our lives. Our next interview is with Joe. Now, Joe is the charity manager at 21 Together, a charity who provide training, therapy resources, interventions, peer support, and expert guidance to support children and young people with Down Syndrome. Joe is also a parent of a teenager with Down Syndrome, and we ask her what are the best places for support in the early days after diagnosis. So in those early days, it can be really isolating, I think, when you first have a diagnosis of a child with Down syndrome and you don't really know where to go and where to look. And obviously, currently, there's not set up, particularly for kind of medway, but all, all over the country, there's not naturally that set up to kind of guide you into those services. So I would say, um, first of all, one of the big places to look is also Down syndrome Association. They have a lot of information on their website. They have a brilliant helpline that you can call when they want you up to 
professionals in each area. So if there's a particular thing you want to go and talk to, definitely talk to the DSA. Um, I'd also say really worth linking up with your local groups. So 21 Together covers Kent, um, but there will be versions of us all around the country covering different areas. And actually what's brilliant about linking up with your local groups is we run a service where if you come to us once you've had a, a diagnosis of Down syndrome, so even prenatally or postnatally or at any point, we will, let, we will link you up to uh, local families. So we will link you up to people in your more local area that you can actually have coffee with and build friendships with and social connections with. Um, so I think that's really important. And again, if you go on the, the Down Syndrome Association website, there's a big list and a map of where all those um, different local groups are. So I think that's another really good resource. Um, Joe, just while, just while you mentioned that, I just want to ask you, the actual process now of getting a diagnosis for someone who's got Down Syndrome, tell us a little bit about that. And yeah, how long does that take? Yeah, so actually that also differs to where you live in the country as to what services. And in fact, even where we live differs uh, within hospitals that you access. So um, you will have your Down syndrome screening test uh, during pregnancy, which is your blood test and your ultrasound. Um, and then if you're given a high chance of uh, having a, a baby with Down syndrome, some hospitals will then offer um, an IPT which I would strongly suggest that people kind of go and look at the background of that and the research behind that. Um, as a charity, we're, you know, we're very much, everyone should have to make their own choices and live their own lives, and we um, fully support that. So, But we would encourage people to, to look more closely into um, some of those screening procedures and, and what happens. But that can be a blood test, um, and you can have that done privately as well. Um, and then actually that's not diagnosed that's not diagnostic. So a lot of people think that that is a diagnostic test that will tell you whether or not your child has Down syndrome. And that's not actually true. The only way you get a diagnostic test is um, an amniocentesis or a, a CVS. So um, obviously our boys are autistic and they've got epilepsy and we have like looked into different disabilities and things but is there any common like association of other medical conditions or um that are associated with down syndrome joe yeah so essentially again people with down syndrome will have an, a, an element of learning disability from and that actually varies a lot along that spectrum um and then they do have a again it's a higher chance of having some of these additional issues I think it's really important to know that not all children with Down syndrome will have all of these issues. Yeah, the chance of you getting those issues are higher and then for some. So say um, just over half of our children and young people are born with some form of heart defect. Now, a lot of the time that is um, repairable, operable. Um, then again, that's a huge spectrum of need. That can be that they're born with a slight heart defect that just sorts itself out over time and needs nothing. So it can be quite a scary statistic. You know, over 50% have a heart defect. But actually, you know, that in itself, it depends what level of um, support you will need with that. Um, I, think that's the, I think that's the, the common one that, that I associate with it, you know, from being an outsider. I think, yeah, that, that, that's what, yeah. Um, but like you've said, it's very like, the spe spectrum is very vast, isn't it? And it just depends... So it's very much like autism, isn't it? It's a, like a massive spectrum and every child and young person's really different, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it you know, it's a real it is a real spectrum. 
Um, you can, I think around 10% of children have like additional bowel diagnosis, issues with bowel, and then they are more likely to have issues with kind of gastro reflux, uh, more likely to be diagnosed with celiac disease um, in later life. And there's issues around kind of breathing and sleep apnea and asthma and, and things like that, but also um, thyroid issues growing up. But again, it doesn't mean you're going to get them all, it just means you might. And there is a, there is a link between childhood leukemia um, and children with Down again, but leukemia, again, everyone often links on that, like, oh my God, my child, I'm going to have to keep an eye out, this is going to be, you know, definitely going to get this, this um, get leukemia, but actually it's an exceptionally rare disease in itself and you're just at a slightly higher chance, so it's not as maybe um, as, as, as big a proportion of children that maybe sometimes they think. Yeah. And Joe, do you, do you feel that Down syndrome generally is talked about enough? And do you, or would you say still more awareness needs to be made of children and young people and young adults who have Down syndrome? Do you think a lot, a lot more awareness still needs to be done? Because I do. Yeah, I think that's a really great question because actually the answer is certainly it's a lot better than it was. Um, and as a community, I think um, we probably need to have these conversations amongst ourselves as well as with the wider community. Is it's actually brilliant. It's brilliant. We're seeing more and more young people with Down syndrome um, represented in media. You know, you've got George on CBBS. You've got people. You know, you've got the actors are out there, and there's certainly a lot more people with Down syndrome who are doing brilliantly in what they do and and are being advocates. They're going out and talking politically, you know, which is absolutely fantastic, and we hugely support that. Something that I personally are very aware of is actually there is also potentially, I don't know, I do, I'm always picking through this subject very carefully on purpose because I know that potentially it can be a difficult one and get a bit of a comeback for. But sometimes there can be a little bit of an ableism almost within our community that the pictures of the people dancing around going out are actually of those particularly articulate, particularly individuals. And actually there is a group, a big group within our, our community that maybe doesn't actually um, see themselves uh, within that group and actually they do have more complex needs and there is more going on for them so for me it's really important that we're representing those guys uh, within the conversation I, I think it's about representing all angles of the community and we feel that i'm sure you would agree michael wouldn't you we feel that with the asd spectrum as well because you know and I, w I would like to think you would agree with this just because you've met one young person who has the diagnosis of down syndrome that doesn't mean you understand dancing uh down syndrome because the spectrum is so vast and everybody is so different and so unique in their own beautiful way and i think by talking about it really helps with raising awareness and showing the world that we are all so different it's very much like with, what we always say isn't yeah. it? like same as the autism it's always the more able um that are represented on tv or, or not those that and, are severe as, yeah. as severe and, and i think the whole range needs to be shown so we met george recently at a festival and he came along with his dad and, and he it, actually was was great with yeah. our two boys and i was I was very impressed with how he was. I mean, we didn't kind of push anything with him. But then as I'm spending time with George, I'm realising, you know, the whole 
spectrum is so vast and not everybody's like this who yeah. has a diagnosis of Down syndrome. You know, but there are all, more severe yeah, cases. Yeah, it's all that's put out on media or whatever campaigns or newspapers or whatever. That's all the public sees, isn't it? The one like the more able. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it, it is really important to see them as individuals. It's one kind of thing around uh, people down that we do a lot of work with actually is there's a they've done quite a lot of research, particularly in more recent years, there's been lots of evidence data kind of been growing. And actually there is a really specific learning profile for people with Down syndrome. Like they tend to learn in a certain way. They have certain learning relative strengths and, and weaknesses. So um, and what we do as charities really make sure that we're using those strengths and weaknesses to um, make sure the education stuff we're putting in place is right and the best for them they can they can fulfill their potential. I think one of the big issues for us is the conversation around that isn't happening. So actually when you go out to schools or professionals or doctors, they actually they don't recognise that and they're not maybe having access to the right training to know that actually children with downstone reading can be a real strength. They're really strong visual learners, whereas they find like auditory learning, so if you're talking to them, they find that very, very difficult. But if you've got visual spatial learning, they're actually um, that can be a real relative strength for them. So it's about, you know, you might approach things like reading quite differently to how you would um, with mainstream kids and there's um, typical kids. And there's also a lot of work around inclusive education for children with autism and how positive that can be. And again, that doesn't necessarily then show up in the real world. Um, and I can say that being a mum to a, a nearly 14-year-old um, who is in year nine in a mainstream setting, um, she, we've had to fight every single step, but I know you guys will totally understand. We've had to fight every single step of the way to the point where the school were even looking to take her to Secretary of State not to have her. Um, but because we fought through, but actually she's done brilliantly. Like she has more complex communication needs. Like I always feel like I'm doing her a slight disservice if I'm not. She's brilliant, but she does have more. She's not a poster girl for Down syndrome. You know what I mean? She's, she's got really quite complex communication needs. Um, but actually the school, I think, have been really surprised and are now doing brilliantly with her. They felt, oh, actually, we've misunderstood this. She Actually, what she needs, if we can put in place this communication support and, and the academic support socially, she does manage and she does flourish and she is being enabled. So I think it's, it's making sure we're having those conversations that, yes, everyone is an individual with their individual needs and their Certainly their individual personalities, like, you know, she is a teenage girl and there is no doubt about it. Fair amount of door slamming and everything else going on in our world, but it's impacted very much by her communication. Um, but it is trying to get that message out to parents of children with Down syndrome, but also professionals. Actually, you've got to get out there and upskill your knowledge, particularly when it comes to education and then supporting them socially to do uh, an independence and again learn and thrive do an awful lot of work on that with our video based free resources on um growing up and keeping safe and things like that what are the kind of like statistics joe for uh young adults with down syndrome getting into like paid employment and is it again it's one of those tricky things i don't know if you've been following the down syndrome act that went through recently and again that had its own controversy kind of surrounding it didn't it but and um, i don't really want to get into that too much because it's not something i have much to do with um but one of the real things we find is an issue is there are no statistics for children we are not measured as a group we're not considered a group 
Now we don't, if you went to your local authority, um, I went to go and do some research on this for the charity and said, right, how many people in Kent and Medway have Down syndrome? And I was told the only way I could find that out was to do a freedom of information request to every single GP surgery and hope that they coded it because they didn't even, it wasn't necessarily a code that codes it. So it's really hard. we take all our data from the kind of the general learning disability data. But again, there's a huge range of need. So, you know, we would take the, the, the stats from kind of the MENCAP based stats. Yeah. So it seems really different to like with autism, everything seems to be statistics and it's all noted and very much like the no harmonies in employment and what 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 they're missing and what they need and yeah like, I'm quite shocked at that that they're in like a it's quite appalling really that specific one for that yeah it's it appalling. is yeah I think that was one of the real drivers for the death track was actually that it was that recognition that they are a group and actually they are a group that have particular characteristics that need to be considered when commissioning new services when you're putting things out there and they're just not in any way considered a group they're just kind of together in a wider group which is really tough then when you're trying to prove any needs. So they say, well, prove to us you need this. And I'm like, well, how do we do that? We can't even gather the amount of numbers um, that we have. So it's a real, so hopefully that is changing and that will be, um, it's certainly needed to be changed. Because no one actually knows how many people down syndrome in the UK. They guesstimate around kind of 41,000-ish, um, but it is a guesstimate. Really shocked at that because you just assume like it's, a disability that's been around a long time, that everything will be nailed down and all the stats would be there for that. I'm, I'm quite surprised at that. I didn't know that. Did you? No, I have to say, you know what I find fascinating with young people that have Down syndrome is when they are happy, Joe, it makes me so happy. It really, really does. And, you know, they... They just light up, don't they, Joe? And they're so joyful and happy. And it really, really impacts me because I've met lots of different children that have Down syndrome, you know, and I know they can be so happy and joyful and celebrate the most tiniest of things ever. And it means the world to them. But then I also know there is that other side as well, isn't there, Joe? And a lot of people don't really talk about that, neither do they? No, and I think it's one of those things, isn't it, that actually challenging behaviour can be a difficulty with children with Down syndrome. Now, challenging behaviour itself is not um, actually linked to Down syndrome. You, and you wouldn't say it's not more Down syndrome is going to have challenged behaviour, but because of the coexisting difficulties, particularly around communication and the learning need, that is often where the learning, the challenging behaviour comes from. So it's about identifying those needs and trying to put stuff in place to do that. But like you said, what we don't want is like, there's very much a whole realm of emotions, like I said, like as we're experiencing the teen world, the whole realm of emotions, you know, from boyfriends clarifying that that person can't be your boyfriend and, you know, you know, this kind of thing. And, um, you know, when she comes home, she's falling in love with somebody different. And you're like, oh, no, that's a celebrity. It's not a real person. You know, it's, it's trying to do that. But actually, the, the, the joy is, is overwhelming. And it is, you know, I wouldn't lie. She is so exceptionally kind and caring but she can also be she can she can really go when she wants to um but i think it for me it's making sure that we are tempering that with appropriateness um so actually what if the are if the end goal is making them as independent as possible which it is 
um, we're looking to put the resources and things in place so that they know who it is safe to hug. You know, who do you high five? Otherwise, we, we were finding that we've got um, young adults, even adults with Down syndrome, and you'll say, who's your best friend? And they'll say that the teaching assistant at school um, because they haven't understood those complex relationships. Um, so it's really important, again, that the work the Learning Five is doing a lot of is around the kind of complex relationships. But you are right, like that their ability to pick up somebody else's emotions and make that person feel better at times can be magnificent. Like she can pick up before anyone else in the household will pick up if someone's not feeling great and she will be the first person just to come over and, and give you a hug and, and check in on you. Um, even if she doesn't really understand why or really understand, so she will definitely always do that. And um, that is a, it is a real joy. But yeah, like I said, tempered in, with, a, with that wider discussion. And what, if I said to you, what are your top three tips for parents of children with Down syndrome? Top three tips, Joe. what would you say? My top three tips, my first one would definitely be, as a family, you are all equally important and you all deserve the same level of, of love and, and input. And actually that's almost aimed at, I think, us as parents, you, you have a child with additional needs and then they become very quickly and very easily become the very centre of everything that goes on within the family. Yeah. And families can forget to, to protect their own relationships, their friendships, their relationships, and actually know that they deserve that time and space for themselves too. But I think looking after yourself and recognising is, is really, really important, um, particularly around friendship relationships, because you guys will know how tricky it can be when, you know, you've got all those other pressures to maintain your, your outside relationships and your own support network is, is, is so tough, isn't it? Um, and that kind of built, leads into my, my number two, which is actually build a network early on. Because um, we were, it's the whole kind of village, it takes a village to raise a child, doesn't it, and all that. Well, actually, it takes a slightly bigger village to raise a child with additional needs. And um, there are more challenges. And it, I think it can be easy in those early days to kind of look purely inward. Um, and it, it's maybe looking for those networks. So linking up with um, local school groups, as and when you want to. I say that with the caveat that a lot of our parents come to us within the first months. Some of them even prenatally will come to us. Whereas I was not ready to engage with the Down syndrome community until my daughter was like seven. <laughs> I was not interested at all in, in engaging. And that's fine. You know, you find it when it, when, when you're ready. Um, and the last one, I suppose, is knowledge is power. I think it's that understanding and getting that training and support in terms of the learning profile, in terms of what support you should be getting and how to access that. Um, and again, using all your resources. So those are my three. You, you all deserve the same equality in your family. Build that network up and, and knowledge is power. And I think they're really good tips for like parents of additional needs children like throughout. Generally yeah. across the board. Yeah. When I was hearing you say it, I was like, oh, she's so knowledgeable. Joe, it's been a delight and a big learning curve for us as well. To have you on the Diffability Podcast. Oh, well, thank you, everyone. Thank you for doing this. This is such an important thing. Thank you. Every episode, we want to share with you our top tips and recommendations for getting out and about with your kids 
whatever their abilities or needs are. This is Get Outdoors with Get Cycling. Get Cycling provide all kinds of cycles for all kinds of people. That's everything from trikes and tandems to wheelchair friendly bikes and the ones with harnesses too. Head over to getcycling.org.uk forward slash Diffability to find out more and to book your own demo. So for this episode, we'd really like to recommend your local RSPB centre. And who doesn't love a bit of bird watching? You know, where they're flying around you. I mean, you know, you get to see all kinds of different breeds. Is it breeds? Yeah. Breeds of birds. Blue tits, yellow tits. You know, and it's all fabulous. And don't forget to take those binoculars because you're going to miss some stuff. Well, again, our local RSPB centre is the uh, Old Moor one, I think it's called. Old Moor Wetland Centre. Yeah, so you, you can see a lot of different uh, creatures. They've got a big lake, but ours does have a cycle track and a, and a path around it as well. They often have a really nice coffee shop as well. Yeah. And do homemade cake, which is the highlight for me. Yeah, so they do have... It's like a little cafe, isn't it, on, on ours. Some of them have, like, limited facilities. Um, other ones are bigger, like the one near us, and they've got cafes and gift shops, and they've got little huts that you can go in, and they have all kinds of different um, facts and stuff about birds and wildlife. So for our younger two that are interested in looking at and finding out more about different animals and stuff. I have to say, from a personal point of view, I'm not really a bird watcher, but when we've been there and they're telling you about the different breeds of birds around you, you are suddenly drawn to wanting to see them and look for them and find them. So it is quite fascinating. You don't have to be a you know, a bird watcher to go and have a day there. It's just nice. Yeah. And that's all from us for this episode. If you have found this podcast useful, then make sure to check out the other episodes we have available and share it with other parents. The best thing we can do as parents of children with additional needs is to keep talking, keep sharing and keep helping each other out. After all, we are all in this together. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can find us on Instagram at family, or click the link in the description below. Thanks for listening.